0: ben easter and you're listening to the shift to freedom podcast the podcast that gives you the mindsets strategies tips and tricks to live your freedom and love your life if you're here i suspect that you have a total badass inside you but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet maybe you've been told not to that it's too much maybe you've been worried about what other people will think or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine if any of that sounds familiar you've come to the right place Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So if you want more freedom, possibility or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm here with my buddy Clayton Olson, and I am so excited to have this conversation today. Clayton, what are we going to be talking about today? We're
1: going to be talking about the concept that we always find what we're looking for in life. However, what we're looking for isn't always what we want. Mm -hmm. And this is a really important thing to keep in mind when we're trying to create the relationship that we want or the business that we want, the lifestyle that we want. Um, because we're often looking for things and looking for evidence of things that don't support us in actually getting what we consciously want, and it really invites us to slow down and get curious as to
0: exactly what's going on there. Totally, and this is such an interesting uh, concept because when most people are thinking about the way that their life is unfolding, a lot of times it it kind of has this flavor of like I'm just noticing, I'm just like observing reality as it is, I'm just noticing things the way that they are. And I think one of the really interesting things about this kind of a conversation is that we start to maybe open up the possibility that we aren't observing things as they are, but that we are observing things as we are. And that I think is a really powerful realization to come to and beliefs that we can hold um as, yeah. as impact in the world.
1: Yeah. And I can't wait to double click on that and open that up more around that we're actually observing the world as we are rather than seeing it way we think it is and and i think that can be such a trip to wrap our head around because it just seems like okay well there's this objective world out there and i'm seeing things and i'm seeing mean people i'm seeing dangerous people i'm seeing loving people i'm seeing situations that are trying to take advantage of me i've seen the limitations of where you know maybe regardless of how much willpower i put into it something can't change or i can't ship something in my life and this is an invitation. For a moment, just to try on in this episode, that perhaps who you are is a projector screen and that um, the originating image that you're looking at is actually created from within and then reflects outward. And that if we're trying to then work with the thing outside of us and change and control our environment outside of us, it's like trying to fix a reflection, or the image in a mirror
0: rather than yeah, to, like, <laughs> rubbing against the mirror rather than <laughs> right you now. I got dirt on my face. Let me go try to rub it off the mirror. It's never worth it. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is a really interesting concept, too, because what you were just saying, like, intuitively, it does seem like there is an objective reality. Like, we want to say, like, I'm seeing bad people. I'm seeing dangerous people. I'm seeing loving people. Like, I'm not making that up. Like, I'm not creating those things. Those things are out there already, whether or not I was there to observe them. That's what the intuition says. I think that's what it seems like for us to be in the experience of reality. Right. And uh, I think it's useful for us to maybe make a case for this because it it is so counterintuitive to see this as a possibility that we are the ones that are kind of the creators of our reality that I think it might be useful for us to kind of double click and get some, like tell a story that makes sense for people about how they can come to believe this. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you were mentioning Warren that there's an NLP way of looking at it, like a model of NLP that there was a way of looking at this. Yeah. Is there yeah. To that? yeah.
1: Sure. So I, uh, I'm going to fumble my way through this, but essentially there's a presupposition in NLP that we're never actually directly contacting reality. So there's the outside world as it is. And then our five senses are coming into contact with this external world. And we're playing right now, by the way, for anybody that's listening here that understands quantum physics and the difference between quantum reality and Newtonian reality, we're for a moment just kind of playing the world and say that this is a Newtonian way of understanding this, where there actually is an objective world. There's hard things out there that we're coming into contact with. But our senses are creating their first interpretation of them. Okay, our sense has taken taken the, the information. And then we have a meaning-making function on top of that, then that sorts through the sensory data and it begins to create meaning and patterns and uh crystallizes an understanding that then we make another meaning about that experience, which then turns into language and how we talk about something. And mm. so we're never actually having a real direct contact with reality. We're having a contact with our experience of our sensory input of reality. And so if we just start to see the gap in between that. We can see that in some ways, being in contact with reality, is like a game of telephone where things can get distorted and deleted and generalized very easily to where we're living our life and we start to relate to our beliefs about the world as if it's real, as if it's true. And this is how we can get locked up. This is how we can be in situations that are um, going on repeat over and over again. And uh, many times it's so that we can survive and create situations that we're familiar with, that we feel certain around uh, and maintain identity coherence, meaning that we have a very clear idea of who who we are and how, yeah, how the world works. And that keeps us safe. But unfortunately it actually blocks us from certain levels of thriving and aliveness and being able to take on and create something new in the realm of uncertainty.
0: Yeah, totally. And I just want to repeat that because I think it's such an important part of what you said and kind of make it clear and distinct that we don't actually have, I mean, everybody listening to this will at least know and be able to understand this part of it. We don't actually have interface with reality. We only have interface with our sense data about reality, like our what we what our touch tells us, what our sound tells us, what our sight tells us. Um, one thing that i really like to think about as like kind of a thought experiment around this is that there are ways of experiencing that we actually don't have access to about the quote unquote reality that's around us. So, you know, dogs can hear pitches that we can't, or, you know, bats have a way of quote unquote, seeing that we don't with sonar that we just like we can't even literally you can't even imagine what that would be like because that would be requiring images and bats don't have access to images the way that we do. You know what I mean? And so there, there's all this kind of data that exists out there in the universe, you might say, that we literally have zero access to because it's not in the format, in the narrow band of awareness that we can possibly access of our sense data, uh, which is like sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. And proprioception. And so if something doesn't come to us through one of those channels, we don't, we we can't quote unquote, see it, you know? Yes. And that's a really useful thing to understand. That is a super useful thing to understand. Um,
1: And we can take that same model and we can apply it one layer up now to beliefs that there are literally things that we can't see if we don't believe them. There are certain things we will not be able to witness in other people if we don't already have a belief structure around that to filter for that thing. So just like our senses, right, we have a certain amount of data that comes in that's limited to our five senses. There's a way in which the data, the infinite data that's out there comes in and we filter it through an already existing belief paradigm, a set of glasses that we're seeing reality through. And it's this real estate. like, okay, this is, this is just how life is. And so that just brings us to this point that we've discussed last time, though, is that try on for a moment that evidence is infinite, regardless of what direction you're looking in. So if you are looking for reasons as to why the world is dangerous, you are going to you can find infinite evidence for that. If you're looking for reasons as to why people can't be trusted, you will find infinite evidence for that. If you're looking for reasons why people can be trusted, or why they're loving at their core, you'll find evidence for that. And so then this becomes, and and then I'd love to hear what you think about this. It becomes a navigation where, as perhaps a coach or someone who is looking to intentionally design their life and design who they are being in this lifetime, it's not about what's necessarily looking for what's true, because we can find evidence everywhere for exactly to support that truth. It's about what is going to be the most useful frames that we can put on, that we can look for evidence for, that support us as scaffolding, that
0: we can move in the direction that we want to move in. Hallelujah. Because that truth thing, and people get hung up on truth. Like, oh, well, I, you know, like, I want to be lying to myself. And it's like, well, brother, you can't help it. (laughs) Whatever story you're telling about the reality is, by. it necessity going to be a limited telling of reality it is not going to be all encompassing because we don't have access to all encompassingness and it's like i think it's just really useful for us to understand that just let go of the idea of truth because truth isn't a kind of thing that we have access to again that's reality that's that reality level where there's infinite data and we just we, we don't know what infinite data is so any. Version that you're telling of reality is by necessity going to be limited and therefore not the whole truth and nothing but the truth can mm. can't possibly be that yes, I love
1: it I would say in a very similar way, and I think that uh the distinction might be that you might have what feels true for you, but what you're saying just to distinguish this is you're talking about like the whole truth can you actually have access to the entirety of truth and it's like if we're searching for that. I think we're in a fool's errand
0: at that yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, the, the thing about it is it's like the pursuit or the attempt to be consistent with the truth. Again, it's a fool's errand and we're going to waste a lot of energy on that for something that we can never know one way or the other. Because again, we, I mean, we don't have like perfect record keeping because we don't have perfect data in the first place. We, we don't have access to all the data. You think about like the way that police sketch artists go and they like take, you know, Mm. images after the fact and the way how those things don't look the same as they did. Once you even find the person that they're sketching, like it's not the same person as in the picture or people will remember a car being green versus red or things like that. This is all like the very nature of our subjective experience in the world. Our our subjective interpretation of the world that we have and then to, to tell ourselves the story that that's true, that it's some fact about the world is just not useful. Now it's not to say that there aren't facts, and I want to make a distinction here because there are certain kinds of things that they're they're true inherently. And so like mathematical truths, for instance, if you understand the way that what the words mean of math, two plus two can't not equal four. It's inherent Within the meanings of the words, we're like, you can't have a square circle, for instance, because it's inherent within the meanings of the words. These are things that are called like tautologies in philosophy, things that are like they're true by virtue of themselves. You know the meanings of the words, then there's a lot of things that they also mean. But there, that's a very limited sum, subset of the kinds of things that we're talking about in the world most yes. of the time we aren't talking about mathematical or logical truths. And we're talking about yes. the truth about what he said or what she said or some situation that or someone's actions, especially someone's intentions. Like think about that. Well, what he meant when he said that was, well, blah, blah, blah. you hear people talk this way, but how yes. we actually possibly have any idea what somebody meant. You could maybe yeah. have, have an experience of what they said that they meant. But even then, perhaps they could be lying or misremembering or, you know, any any number of things. So we can't possibly know what they meant in any situation. Yeah. We can't even necessarily really know what we meant in the situation. Yeah, so it's very good. Yeah,
1: but and to add a, another piece of this, I, I see us speaking to the kind of overarching metastructure of the beliefs that really drive how people show up, which are. Life is what dot 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 people are what dot dot dot, for I am dot 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 like trying to find the truth of that, like life is this or people are that, or I am this, and then to have it limited to one small sliver of something like this is where how useful is it to really find these interpretations and intentionally create these interpretations that are going to serve you in how you want to show up in the world. The piece that I, I wanted to just navigate the conversation into is what are the implications of this? Like, what does this actually mean uh, about moving through the world and being somebody who is loving themselves and able to create and able to surrender and able to have an enjoyable and and self-expressed journey? And I think what it actually points to is that who we are being is primary. And what we do and what we have is secondary. And the reason for that is the world is essentially reflecting who we're being. So this goes back to what you were saying earlier, is that the world out there is more of a reflection of us than, than we are of it. And so mm. if there's something that uh, I have a belief about people out there, where I have a belief about myself and I'm seeing evidence of it out in the world, it's reflecting my being. It's reflecting who I'm being. Like I am being that the world is dangerous. I am that other people are not trustworthy. I am that other people can't be counted on. Now, like notice just the the effect that it's going to have on my availability and capacity to be in a relationship, capacity to lead, capacity to take risks. The world is reflecting that being. And so if we can bring this back to ourselves and say, okay, who are we being that people are X, Y, Z? Who am I that life is X, Y, Z?
0: Yeah, can you yep. double click on this? Because I, I think yeah. uh, the the language that you're using, we might want to help people hear it. So, uh, so when you're saying yeah. like, who who am I being? That yeah, X is X is the way that the world is, or something like that. Can you double click on what that? What does that mean? How? Am I, who am I being? Yeah, great question. Another great way of
1: talking about this, that has been explaining to me that I, I love is looking at it as an inner stance. What is the inner stance that I'm taking? What is the, the perspective or the location that I'm choosing to stand in and look at the world through? What are the thoughts, what are the feelings, what are the things that I'm telling myself, what are the belief structures, the things that I'm choosing to believe that make up this kind of mosaic of my being that then I'm filtering the world's infinite data through. So being is in some ways like a nominalization for the positioning of our interpretive systems. Might we say the perspective that we're taking? Yeah. What would you add to that? Because I, I know that you, you know this language as well, and that you would say to complete the picture there.
0: Well, I think that's really great. I, actually, I, there's like this quick story that I want to tell. So I had a party on Friday with of my friends. He was talking about Ender's Game. And in Ender's Game, I'm not going to go deep into it, but there's this part yeah. where Ender, they're playing a game and they're getting zero gravity. And Ender, as they're going in to play this game in this arena, he says the the gate is down. So the goal that we're trying to get to is down. And so everybody on his team then shifts their perspective because everybody was thinking about like kind of meeting across a football field, so to speak. But then all of a sudden, because they're in zero G, Ed, Ender had his team think of it as down. And so then his whole team now immediately had the high ground. Always in their perspective. And so they were then at an advantage, and it was only because of a shift that they made in the way that they looked at the world, because they were in zero gravity, and they started to think of the gate as being down. Well, now the team that was it was facing them is now pointing at their feet, the bottoms of their feet, and they they have the bronze side of them in their shooting or whatever. Yes, and so this idea, I think, this is the essence of. Kind of what we're talking about here is that there's a way that we can look at the world differently, and because we look at it differently, all of a sudden things get easier.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, I do that. It's beautiful. Let me share a story from my life that is being catalyzed by this movie. Right? It was a movie, or it was- yeah, it was both. Enders Game was a book and then a movie. Okay. okay. Great. Yes. So this shift in perspective then all of a sudden suddenly changes the game. Then changes the the way in which one shows up to the game. You know, when I look at my own life and some of the work that I've done with really amazing therapists, and really amazing coaches, two realizations that I have had that were so artfully and gracefully brought to my attention that occurred to me as so much more useful and they actually occurred to me as so much more true. Now, were they the true? Uh, you know, that's that's arguable, but let's just say that it felt so much better in my system and it felt so much more truer to me. And the first one was, is that it wasn't my fault around the things that happened to me as a kid. Number one, it wasn't actually the neglect or some of the emotional abuse that could have occurred in the household growing up it wasn't because there was something inherently flawed with me or because I was broken in some way, but rather it was actually damage being passed downstream from lineages of from my parents, to my parents, parents or their parents, parents, where. I'm now collecting this kind of ancestral pain and blaming myself. And who knows if I stay unconscious, that could get passed down to my kids as well. So that was one thing: is just actually realizing it wasn't my fault that Mm -hmm. there was damage done to my parents, that I was simply in the blast radius of it as a a child, which exonerated me from taking responsibility for that type of event. And the second thing that shifted my perspective massively was also simultaneously. Seeing not only their imperfection, but also how powerful they were and how they were truly doing the best that they could and that they were energetic, spiritual powerhouses in their own right, even though they didn't do things perfect. And that I actually had the strength and the foundation of their consciousness behind me, pushing me deeper into life so that I could go live a life of thriving. Mm. This these kind of perspectives completely change and it almost like straighten out a relationship that I've had with myself and a relationship in which I felt like, you know, should I forgive my dad? Should I, you know, how can I forgive him? Um, uh, you know, am I being put at a disadvantage? And like just straightened out all of that stuff. What does that
0: free you to in the world?
1: What does that free me to do? It frees me to show up. Much more, one, self-expressed, and two, to feel like there is a energy or a momentum that is pushing on my back, pushing me into the, the next chapter of like the next chapter of maybe my own lineage in a forward direction with family that is truly behind me who did the best that they could with the resources and the awareness that they had that it wasn't some type of, you know, fall from grace growing up in the family. And then I was already inherently flawed and then damaged, but rather that everything happened the best way it possibly could have given the circumstances. And now I'm free to individuate from them and to go create my own life and break that pattern and approach life with a higher level of consciousness, maybe
0: an upgrade with the family name. Nice. And you then- could imagine people hearing that and being like, yeah, that would be really useful for me in my life if only I were able to do that. And that's the reason that we're doing this belief work. That's the reason that we're, we're shady on this thing. I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier with these beliefs. It's like, this is why cold reading works, by the way, you know, like, um, tarot or palm reading or astrology. The reason it works is because it's, it's speaking in generic enough terms that we all can find those things in our, like, if I tell you, uh, for instance, that uh, you know what I'm seeing in your palm tells me that you're a really confident person. Okay, well, what you're going to do inside your mind is go and find evidence mm-hmm. of you being a confident person, and then you're going to try to assemble that in your mind, right? Because we can all find times when we're confident, and times when we're not confident. Both states are true, quoted yes, but neither state is the whole truth. But if I'm believing that I'm a confident person, well, now how am I going to show up at that next meeting? How am I going to show up on that next sales call? How am I going to show up on my next date? How am I going to show up with my friends playing whatever sport I want to go play? Like, if I'm believing that I'm a confident person, then all of a sudden I start to behave like a confident person. That's cool. That's useful in the world. And so that's why we're doing this, this messing with beliefs, not just because of sort of psychic masturbation. It's because it frees us up to be some way in the world that we want to be showing up. And that is really, really fucking cool. Yeah, and it, it seems like it could be as simple
1: as okay, well, just tell yourself that you are something, and then go act that way and and be it. And on some level, it can be that simple. But oftentimes, what creates real alignment on these multiple levels, going deeper and deeper in the personality, is finding the belief that you want to believe is true, the thing that you want to see is true about reality. And then going on a evidence scavenger hunt for that thing. Nice. Looking all over your life, past and present, for where that thing actually exists and how it is actually expressing itself, and how it's already there, a part of you, and you actually don't need to go add anything to you. You just need to realize the truth of it within yourself. And I think this is where really good coaching, really good therapy, really good mentorship is.
0: Even really good journaling, if you if you can, you yeah. know, find it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Because it helps us recontextualize our past story and start to pull out these nuggets of these, because, you know, we are everything. We we have all of these aspects of ourselves. And to have somebody reach in and pull these things out and create an alignment internally through our storyline and bring us into that realization, it, that's what creates the coherence so that we, when we go out in the world, we don't feel like an imposter necessarily. you like, oh, wow, like, no, this is actually who I am. This is who I've been being. And we let ourselves off the hook and we start to see ourselves in a more useful way. That's the invitation. Yeah, that's the invitation. It's just to like play with this like an artist and realize that maybe for like the next 21 to 30 days, you could run an experiment and just take what you're hearing in this podcast and act as if what we're talking about might actually be how the world works. And that whatever it is that you think is true might not be. It might not be, and that there might be a completely different frequency or flow that you can step into that will yield a brand new paradigm that you can live into by simply pausing and getting curious about what it is that you want and maybe what it is that you might have to believe to get that thing that you want. Let's try that on the thought experiment. And then if you want any help, you want any professional support,
0: you, know, you can either contact Ben or I, we'd be happy to dive into a deeper dialogue around that. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really good, man. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and uh, for going through this stuff today. I think it's really helpful. I think this would be worth it too, man. Uh, Many, many more podcasts in the future too, just to talk about it in different ways because really like understanding that our belief system is the most important thing in any kind of transformation work that we're doing and anything that we want to create in the world. So thanks so much for going to us today and many, many future returns. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help see the algorithms love it when we get reviews shares comments and likes and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives so if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love see you next week and in the meantime live your freedom and love your life